Thanks, everybody. Thank you, uh, Pastor Dave, for the invite. This is my, my second uh, what is it, biannual MFI conference. So uh, happy, just uh, happy to be here. And uh, my wife says hi. Um, she's met some of you. She was out at a women's event in the spring and loved it. And yeah, we're in Calgary, Alberta, and planted our church seven years ago. And I, I don't really have a lot to say about it other than we're in this beautiful space, this beautiful tension where everything we're experiencing right now is way more than I deserve, but not what I hoped for. Do you know what I mean? Like as a leader, it's like you know that God's been way too good to you, that you don't deserve to be living and leading at the level you're living and leading at, but you also have dreamed a lot bigger than what you're seeing right now. And so I love that because it kind of keeps you humble but keeps you hopeful for the future. And so that's, that's where we're at. Um, that's, that's our church, and uh, we absolutely love it and do believe that we're building together something incredible in Canada. And a lot of people say that the church is like God's plan A. And I don't like that language because it suggests that there's a plan B and there isn't. Uh, it's the only plan. Like if we screw this up, the world's going to hell. You realize that? How's that for like an encouraging Monday night thought? Like don't suck at this or we're all like the world is doomed. No, but I, I, I love the fact that it's God's only plan. See, this is important because when he, he put all of his eggs in that one basket, which which means he's gonna he's given the church his attention and the church his authority and the church his power and the church his influence. We have all of that because it is God's strategy for reaching our world. And so it's an exciting time to be alive. It's an exciting time to be part of the church in Canada. And I want to uh, I want to read today from the Bible. At least, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. I mean, I don't. We'll see. I mean, you guys can decide if it's heresy or not as we unpack it, but leave that to you. Uh, Ephesians chapter, it's not going to be, all right? I promise. <laughs> Ephesians, chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, verse 20. Now to him who's able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, according to his power that's at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. Amen. You know what I love about this scripture? Is that God is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine, but then he gives the secret. It's according to his power in us. I've been thinking a lot about the idea of more, immeasurably more, something more. What I've discovered about more is that, that more is impossible without movement, right? So, so we have to be careful that we don't just pray, God, we want more, and we want more people or more money or more opportunity or more influence, because when we start praying, God, give us more, God's going to say, move. You've got to move. There's got to be a move. And, and one of the issues we have, and when I talk about the church, I'm talking about my church, your church, is that we have this tendency to settle in success, Right? So things, things get good enough, and maybe we can pay the bills. Maybe there's enough people coming that, the, you know, if we have a dinner, like people show up, or like we can have a church picnic. There's enough people showing up that we've got a building, or we've got a little bit of a crowd. There's enough. And then we settle in success. God doesn't want us to settle. Jesus didn't die on the cross so we could have just enough people in church, or just enough influence in our city. Died on the cross because everybody in your city needs Jesus. Died on the cross because he wants to give us a more 
than we could ask or imagine. Like if, just, I want you just, as we head into this week together, take your level of expectation and up it just a little bit because what, what you come in expecting will determine what you experience. So don't expect what you've seen before at another conference. Don't expect what you've had before in your own personal private time with the Lord. If you come expecting what you've already seen, you're just going to get what you've already gotten. But let's just raise our level of expectation enough that we would, because you will get and receive this week at the level that you expect. And so if we really want more, we're going to have to move for more. But here's the problem. It's not easy because the devil doesn't want you to have more. In fact, the devil's working overtime to get us to think small, to have small faith, to have small vision, to have small budgets, to have, like he wants us to think small. God wants us to think big. So, so not only do we have to move for more, but it's going to be a war for more. Right? If we're really going to see more, we're going to have to fight for it. It's, it's a fight of faith. We fight the good fight of faith. It's gonna, there's going to be some conflict. It's going to be uncomfortable. So we're going to have to war for this thing. And so... I love the theme, healthy churches. So this would be my, I'm, I was like, Lord, what, what's the like the healthy church statement of the night? And take it or leave it. But healthy churches move for more. Healthy churches aren't satisfied to stay where they are. Healthy churches aren't happy with, let's, let's, can we just get really practical? Healthy churches aren't happy with like, oh, we're trending the same this year as we did last year. Let's just be real. Let's be really honest. We got an upper level of expectation for our church. Healthy churches aren't like, okay, well, the population curve of my city is growing at this rate, so we're growing at the same. I, I just don't think that's okay. I don't think it's okay to grow at the same rate as the city. I don't think it's okay to just see, like, hey, this is how we were trending last year, and now we're on the same curve this year, and everything's, no, no, no. If we're really believing for more, if we're really going to take ground, if more people are actually going to enter the kingdom, we've got to up our level of expectation in every area of our life. We've got to be willing to fight for it. We've got to move for it. Healthy churches are never satisfied. They're content, but they're always contending. They live in that tension of we get to do this. What an honor. What a privilege but it's not what we see yet. So as we start out night one, we're going to expand our vision, and I believe God's going to expand our capacity. I just want to thank you. We're going to pray in a moment. I just want to thank you for leaning in, man. This is like the most encouraging worship environment. I'm standing up at the front, and I'm so glad I put on fresh deodorant because I can just smell my ocean breeze because I didn't even want to put my arms down. You guys, it was like there was this palpable lean in to his presence. There is a level of expectation in the room. So let's pray. God, we thank you that you're here. We thank you that you've got a plan for us. We thank you that you have things you want to do and release and speak and show and unpack for us in the next couple of days that we didn't even expect. God, I pray there'd be things we'd walk out of that weren't even on our radar when we walked in. God, I pray that you just do new things in us over the next few nights. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Okay. Uh, this idea of something more, moving for more. I want to talk just for a couple of minutes, and then really, I want to get back to worship and praying because that felt so good. So uh, I want to talk for a couple of minutes about the story of Saul. You guys are all familiar with Saul. This is a biblically literate crowd, so I got to make sure I get my facts right. But Saul, um, as we know, was a religious leader, not the good kind of religious leader, hated Christians, was persecuting them. Saul's a bounty hunter. Uh, he's basically made a full-time gig of traveling around, finding 
worshipers of Jesus, putting them on trial, persecuting them, and overseeing, in many cases, their execution. This is Saul. Saul, at one point, um, after business was booming in Jerusalem, decides, hey, I want to go multi-site with this. I'm going to open up a campus in Damascus for persecuting Christians. So Saul didn't know yet that he was going to be a church planter, but he's already got multi-site in his heart, launches out on a road trip to Damascus, heads out to Damascus, and on the way, he has this moment with Jesus. Like on his way from Jerusalem to Damascus, heaven opens up and Jesus, who's already conquered death, hell, and the grave, shows up for a cameo in Acts chapter 9, steps into the timeline of history again and says, hey, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He has this moment. It's a beautiful moment. Jesus speaks to his identity, speaks to his calling. All of these amazing things happen in Saul's life in this moment. And moments are good. We're having moments here tonight. We're, we're going to have a series of incredible moments over the next few days together where God is going to speak to our calling and speak to our identity. We need, we need to have moments. They're critical. Conference is a great moment. MFI conference, this is a, we, we need this moment together where we'd, we'd come and we'd, we'd worship and we'd touch heaven and we'd have all the great things, all the connections, all the relationships. Like these are good, important moments. But, but here's the danger with moments is that as I consider, and I, I don't, I'm not claiming to be an expert here, but as I look at the church, as I consider my own experience um, in the church, it's really easy to get to the spot where we're actually making, we're making monuments out of moments. Where, where it becomes about the perfectly crafted moment. Did the music go right? Did we transition that properly? Did the sermon land well? Did we advertise effectively? Like, did we create a moment? Like, did we make the right moment? And, and, and if we start to make too much of the moment, we'll never become a movement. And, and when I think about even my own history, I grew up in a charismatic movement, and I love the fact that I'm with like charismatic, prophetic, spirit-filled friends here tonight. But here's the, ch- <laughs> yeah, <laughs> let's get it. Here's, here's the challenge. And as far as I can tell, every movement in our nation that has had a charismatic root has struggled to maintain a charismatic lifestyle and not just a charismatic label. And, and I'm not saying that, that people have failed at it, but it's gotten harder and harder the older the movement gets. And so in year three of the conference, I know it's not year three of MFI being present in Canada, but in year three, we've got to make sure that we don't get so caught up in worshiping the moments that this thing becomes a monument. Because when it becomes a, people put monuments over grave sites. Monuments are there to be a, a, like to give an indication that something here used to be living. And there are far too many monuments calling themselves churches where there used to be life, but there's no longer anything fresh. There's no longer any power. There's no longer people getting saved. We cannot become a movement that is actually a monument. We can't become a monument. So we've got to make sure this charismatic thing doesn't become just a label. We've got to maintain a lifestyle. So, so Saul has this moment where, where he has this encounter with Jesus, and had he stayed, it would have been all about him. 
He could have stayed there on the road that day and thought like, man, I can't believe this happened to me. What's going on? And he could have stayed there. But see, moments need to become movements. Moments are about us and how we feel and what God's doing in us. But a movement is about other people. And so as we even dig into the Holy Spirit over the next couple of nights, can I encourage you? We are not after another experience. God did not send the Spirit so Christians could have experience after experience after experience. God sent the Spirit so the church would expand. That's why we have the Holy Spirit. It's not about another, I need to feel something experience. It's about the expansion of a supernatural kingdom into every city, town, village, church, family, street in our nation. That's why we're here. It's expansion. And so Saul has this moment. And what's so interesting to me is he, he starts to, starts to kind of come to. He starts to, he's blind and he's figuring his life out. And he wakes, he gets up and his friends start to bring him into Damascus. And, and as he's getting brought into Damascus, God starts speaking to a guy named Ananias. God speaks to Ananias. He says, hey, Ananias, it's actually, I'll read it to you. It's actually in Acts chapter nine, verse 10. It says, in Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias and the Lord called to him in a vision, Ananias. Yes, he answered. Now this is such a critical time because God's speaking to Ananias, but Saul is being led to Damascus blind by his friends. Let's not forget that this is like, this is a moment Saul's having before all of the great stuff happens in his life. This is pre-Apostle Paul. This is pre-Church Planter Paul. This is pre-writing like the majority of the New Testament Paul. Like this is a before moment. I just felt as we were worshiping that I needed to encourage you. We are, we are here tonight together in a before moment. Like, we're here together. You might think, oh, I was late to the parties, late to the game. I planted my church a long time ago. It's not really where I wanted it to be yet. It's, I'm a little bit disappointed with the results. I, I feel like I'm too old. I'm too young. Whatever it is. No, no, no. If you're in the room, we are here together before God is going to do more in our country than he's ever done. We're here together before the biggest outpouring of the Holy Spirit we've ever seen in the history of our nation. We're here together before signs and wonders and miracles and healings become the norm. We're here together tonight before. We're before. So just get excited. You are, you are, not, you are not late to the party. We are here before the very best things happen in our nation. You are on the cutting edge. You are the tip of the spear. You are at the front of what God is about to do in our country. So, so Saul, is, it's before he becomes Paul. He's on his way to Damascus. God speaks to Ananias. Says, I want you to go talk to Saul. It's funny how Ananias, when God's like, hey, Ananias, his response is, it's real positive off the bat. Hey, yes, Lord. He's such a keener. I'll do anything. And I know that there are some people in the room tonight and you're, you're team members and you're serving on the staff of a leader in the house. Um, just to the, to, especially to the team members, don't underestimate your yes. 
Because there are your pastors, there are pastors we trust that if we're in a church that the pastors have received a vision and a call from God. And, and the ability to accomplish and see that vision and call come to pass is directly connected to the yes of the people who, who attend the church. And there are a lot of pastors with great vision and great passion who are having their calling restricted because there's not a yes in the heart of the church. So when you go back, if you're not the senior leader, your job is to start drumming up the yes in the congregation because the yes of the people will either restrict or release the potential of the church. So you got to be like Ananias. And I can't promise what God asks you to do is going to be easy. Yes, Lord. Ananias, I'd like you to go find Saul. He's in a particular house on a particular street. Would you please place hands on him and release him into his godly destiny? <laughs> God, are you crazy? Do you know who Saul is? Have you met Saul before? God, I got, we've been hiding out because we heard Saul was coming to Damascus. We hit our kids. We all hit our wives. We're in the basement. We're bunkered down. We're freaking out because Saul's coming to find us, persecute us, and oversee our execution. There's no way I'm going to talk to Saul. I don't know what version you have, but my Bible the paraphrase, I think, is just shut up and go. <laughs> and so he goes. And in Acts chapter 9, verse 17, I believe we see three different things that happen that are critical to moments becoming movements. And so if we're going to really take this thing and allow it to make a difference, not just be a moment, we've got to dig in a little bit. Acts chapter 9, verse 17 says, Then Ananias went to the house and entered it, placing his hands on Saul. He said, Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. Three things we can learn from this transaction if we're going to move into the future and experience more of Jesus. Three things. Number one is we've got to get around the right people. You know what's not working for the church in Canada? Insecure leadership. It's not working. It's not working to never want to be in a room with somebody who's living at a higher level than you. It's not working to try and avoid relationship with the people who have bigger churches than you. It's not working to want to stay with a small huddle of people who are in the same place, in the same stage, because it just makes you feel good about yourself. We've got to get around the right people. So if you want to go somewhere, get around the people who are already there, and they might be able to lead you to where you want to go. You want to work on your preaching? Get around some good preachers. You want to work on your groups? Go to the people who have great groups. You want to work on your marriage? Go to the people who have great marriage. You want to work on your parenting. Find the leaders, and they're in this room, who have kids that are grown and serving Jesus, and let them be your example, and stop trying to figure it out on our own. There are far too many people saying, oh, I'm affiliated, or I'm in relationship, but we're not. And so we're pretending, and we use something like MFI or ARC or whatever it is as a cover to make it look like we've got some people with us but we're actually just gravitating in these communities to the people that are in the same stage in the same place. You need to get around the right people. The resource you need to get to the next level is in the relationships you have, and I am fully convinced that in a room this diverse, people representing the entire country, that the resource is in the room. You've just got to have the conversation. You've got to swallow your pride and just go for it. 
We gotta start asking for help. It says that Ananias entered the house. He entered Saul's life. And so this, the next few days would be absolutely wasted if you don't enter somebody's life. And Saul allowed Ananias to enter. You've got to allow somebody to enter your life too. One of the things I love, uh, uh, Pastor Dave and I were talking over dinner and he said, man, one of the real distinctives of MFI is a fathering. And we, we are void of father figures in the church in Canada. Not that there's not any, there's just not enough. There are far too many like leaders trying to lead without spiritual fathers. So if you're a spiritual father in the room, we need you, dig in, please. Some of us might not have the confidence to approach you and say that we need you, but would you just continue to approach us? Thank you that that spirit rests on this movement. Continue to embrace that and embody it. But listen, to all the sons, you gotta give the father someone to father. And moms, you're in it too. We need you both. So you need to have the right people. We need to have the right people. The second thing that we absolutely need, if this is going to work, is the right posture. You need the right people and you need the right posture. Think about this just for a minute. Saul, at this point, he's been blind for like a few days, right? He's not good at being blind yet. He doesn't, he doesn't know how to read Braille. He hasn't mastered the stick. Like his buddies had to lead him to Damascus. Like he's not very good at being blind. His senses haven't had the opportunity to develop. He doesn't have like amazing hearing and he knows the room because his senses, are, they're all like overcompensating. No, 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 he doesn't have any of that. He's terrible at being blind. He has no idea what he's doing, but he's sitting in a house of someone he doesn't know in a city he's not very familiar with totally blind, living out an experience that he's never had before. I am convinced that as Saul is sitting there in the house, blind, that he's got to be insecure and overwhelmed and unsure and a little bit afraid, wondering what is going on. I mean, think about it. He just had an experience on a road trip with the power of heaven. He's left without his eyesight, led to a city where he was going to arrest people. They know this. And now he's there blind. How vulnerable is Saul in this moment? Big, bad, boisterous, grabbing people and locking them up. Saul is blind and timid and afraid. Completely vulnerable. Yet, when Ananias shows up, the Bible says that he entered the room. He entered the house and he placed his hands on Saul. Just, just think about that for a minute. I don't know if the Bible's leaving some details out, but there was no introduction. It wasn't like, well, that was a, that was a really disappointing knock. I'm not, I'm not gonna lie to you. I don't think I could have knocked harder, but it wasn't like, hey, hey Saul, it's me, Ananias. Can I come in? Yeah, I'd love that. That'd be great, thanks. There's no introduction. He just walked in, put his hands on him. I don't like being touched when I don't know what's coming. In fact, I'll be honest, I don't like being touched unless it's my wife, that's it. I'm like, I don't mind giving hugs, I'm a bit of a hugger, but especially like if it's from behind, I can't handle it. I'll, I'll lose it, like don't do it. I've got. 
I got somebody that walks with me in our church and they, they walk behind me because I got tired of people coming up from behind and being like, hey, pastor, ah! can't handle it, man, freaks me out. It's okay, like we can touch if I see you coming. That's kind of my rule. Saul couldn't, see, Saul couldn't see Ananias coming. He didn't know. He's blind, he's afraid, he's insecure, he's unsure. The door opens. We don't read about any conversation between the two of them. Ananias just walks in and places his hand on Saul. The vulnerability is staggering. That Saul would sit there. He wouldn't push him away. He wouldn't defend himself. He wouldn't call for help. Because, see, he knew that he needed whatever Ananias had to offer. And so not only do you need the right people, but you need to have a vulnerable posture around the right people. Because you can be in the room with the right people and you can pretend that things are going great. You can be in the room with the right people and you can pretend that marriage is fantastic and ministry and having a great marriage at the same time are really easy and everybody that's in ministry has a great marriage. You can pretend that it's all good with the kids. You can pretend that the fact that you're behind in your budget and can't pay bills is not a big deal. You can pretend all those things. You can pretend that you don't have struggles. You can pretend that when people don't tell you your sermon was awesome, it's actually like a hit on your ego and you struggle for a couple of days after that. You can pretend because you're with all your friends from across the country that you don't think about quitting every Sunday afternoon. You can pretend that way. But what if you were just vulnerable enough to say, hey, most of the time, I'm ready to crack. Most of the time, I'm afraid that if I stand up and actually look at who's in the room, I'm going to cuss them out for the fact that they stop giving most of the time. <laughs> most of the time, I feel like I'm hanging on a thread emotionally. Most of the time, I want to love my kids, but I lash out in anger because I'm stressed and I'm anxious. Most, like, what if we were just vulnerable with each other? You gotta have somebody in your world who you can be vulnerable, like not just like things are going okay, but maybe you could pray for me. No, no, you need somebody who can say, hey, listen, I looked at something I shouldn't have looked at and it could destroy my family. I need you to know and I need you to keep me accountable. Hey, listen, I've had thoughts and they're not good thoughts. Hey, listen, I'm not okay and I don't know what to do about it. Like we've gotta be able to have those real conversations. It is a tragedy that there are people not just being taken out of ministry, but taken out of life because their circle didn't include enough vulnerability that they didn't have people holding them up in their weakest moments. You need somebody, when you have the right person, Person, you need, you listen, you need somebody in your world who's going to contend for your calling. You need somebody in your life who's going to call you on Monday and say, don't bail on your church. Your city needs you. Don't bail on your family. Your wife needs you. Don't bail on your calling. God's called you. He's equipped you. You've got this. We need those people. We need each other. And, and you know what? We need to let up on pastors a little bit. I know most of your pastors. Let up on you. You're not perfect. That's okay. We need to have a process for pastors that gives it. Lit. I was talking to a pastor this week who is not even going through any, like, it's not even a moral issue, but has been put through the ringer because they were vulnerable. Removed from their church. Not even a moral issue. We're talking leadership style. That's not okay. Why would anybody come forward with any amount of struggle 
If the family they're a part of is gonna hang them out to dry instead of walking through a healthy process with them. Moses killed a man and God used him to set a million people free. David had an affair and God used him to build a kingdom. Peter had anger issues and he preached and 3,000 people got saved. We've gotta give space and leadership to not be perfect. You need the right people. You need the right posture. We also, and this is like, this is, to be honest, everything else is just to get to this. Brother Saul, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road as you were coming here has sent me so that you may see again and be filled with the Holy Spirit. You need the right people. You need the right posture. The truth is you can have both. If you don't have the right power, it's not going anywhere. You need the right power. And, and, and in a room of people who are hungry for move of the Holy Spirit, I remind you again, we need the right power for the right purpose. It's not just for our pleasure. It's for his purpose. We need the right power. What, what Canada needs in 2019 is not more clever churches. We don't need more buildings with a good lighting rig. We don't need better sound. We don't even really need better musicians. Listen, we'll take them. If you've got great musicians and they don't like your church, send them to mine. We'll take them. But what we really need is an outpouring of the power of the Holy Spirit in an undeniable, tangible way that the world that is craving something divine but doesn't know where to look is drawn to us because of what's happening in our churches. We need the Holy Spirit. Something more is impossible without the Holy Spirit. Now here's the thing. If you are trying to reach for something more in your life and ministry and you don't have the power of the Holy Spirit as a central force, you'll get more, just not more of what you want. You'll get more frustration. You'll get more anxiety. You'll get more discouragement. You'll get more fear. You'll get more resentment. I think there might, I think there might even be just a pause here. For my, I think there might be somebody in the room and you're actually resenting the call to ministry. You haven't told anybody, and you're still walking it out, but you're resenting it because you feel like your life would have been better if you had done something different. Just, you just need to give that to somebody tonight. Something more is impossible, so I love Acts chapter one. It's like, it, it's, this, is, this is like the mission statement for every charismatic movement. Unfortunately, for many of us, it becomes an old statement and not a new practice, but let's read it. On one occasion, Monday night at the MFI conference, while he's eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you've heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Then they gathered around him and asked, Lord, are you at this time gonna restore the kingdom to Israel? Man, the disciples are always good for a teaching moment, hey? Like Jesus is trying to give them power from heaven and the disciples are like, Lord, what's the plan? Can you unpack it for us? Should we do assimilation on the first and third Sunday or the second and fourth? Should we be multi-site or just build a bigger building? Lord, can you, can you give us the plan 
And let's please do not stop moving in faith because you don't know what's next. Because yeah. yeah. see, if, if you know the power you have now, you're not worried about the what's next. Yeah. We, just need, we just need what's now. What's now is the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus doesn't stop. He just ignores it. He doesn't even stop to give them a plan because he doesn't want them to get distracted. He just goes right to the jugular and he gives them the power. And, 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 and we, need, we need to be more concerned with the power than with the plan. Verse eight, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. You cannot be a witness if you're not empowered. We gotta stop trying to be witnesses and change the city if we're not full of the power of the Holy Spirit. It says you'll be baptized. To be baptized is to be all in with the power of God. Listen, I love it. The Old Testament, we have God the Father over creation, speaks to us as, as through the prophets, but that's not intimate enough for him. So God sends the Son. Then we have God with us. We can relate to him. We can see him. There's an interaction, not intimate enough for him. So the Son sends the Spirit, God in us, empowering us to live the lives he's called, he's called us to, but not intimate enough for him. So the Spirit sends the church and says, the only way this is going to work is not even for you to have me in here, but for you to be baptized in me. There's a difference. We can walk in the Holy Spirit, in confidence, in boldness, in faith, in healing, in miracles. We've got to be in the Holy Spirit. It's not acceptable to sing on empty. It's not okay to get up on a Sunday and preach a sermon on empty. It's not okay to do another hospital visit on empty. We need extra, we need to overflow with the power of the Holy Spirit. It's not enough. Because in the Spirit, things start to change. You see things differently when you're in the Spirit. You pray differently when you're in the Spirit. We have a divine advantage. We've got to start using the divine advantage, not just for experiences, but for expansion. He's the counselor, the comforter. The Spirit breaks chains and opens doors. The Spirit sets people free. The Spirit draws people into relationship with Christ. The Spirit makes a way where it seems impossible. We need to do life in the Spirit. My kids like to do Nerf, Nerf battles. And uh, I'm pretty good at them too, actually. And this is a, this is a regular thing. Uh, we have, we're always having Nerf battles. And we had one not too long ago. And we set up all our forts. Then we get out our guns and, and we're fighting and it's great. And uh, inevitably, I've got four kids. My oldest daughter unless she's watching, then it's my second daughter. Uh, but inevitably, one of the older girls will like stick their head up from behind their cover. And when they do, I do what any father would do in combat. I shoot them in the head. <laughs> like it's right there. They got, my, they got my forehead. They got nice big foreheads. I just, I just go for it. And every time it ends bad, every time. <laughs> Runs upstairs, Mom! Dad shot me in the face with a Nerf dart. Then my wife comes downstairs. Babe, why would you shoot the kids in the face with Nerf darts? I'm like, babe, this is war. 
I get one opportunity. This is my outlet. I've got a lot of aggression from ministry and I'm taking it out on them with Nerf darts. Don't judge me. Well, my, my five-year-old just recently started. She's like the UN. <laughs> so she just tries to grab all the bullets so we can't play anymore. <laughs> and so she's got, she gets all the bullets and she lays on them. And it's like game over because we got no more bullets. And I was thinking about that and I thought, you know what? That's exactly what the devil's trying to do. You're here. He knows he can't destroy you, but he's gonna work overtime to disarm you because he wants you to go into battle unprepared. He wants you to face opposition without ammunition. He wants you to go in without bullets in your gun. He wants you to go in and be overwhelmed by the attack. He wants you to go in. And listen, we've got to go with the Holy Spirit. We've got to resist the devil's attempt to disarm us. We've got to go in power. We've got to go in confidence. We've got to go in boldness. And as I close, there's a couple of reasons, a couple of ways that he tries to disarm us. I share them with you and we'll pray together. One of the ways he tries to disarm us is just with bad intel. There are people in the room today, and I, I actually, I, I don't know how to say this other than that, I feel it strongly. And in Acts chapter 19, there's a story where Apollos is in Corinth. Paul took the road through the interior and arrived at Ephesus. They rounded up some disciples and said, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? They answered, no, we've not heard that there is a Holy Spirit. It's just bad intel. They just didn't know. And there's some people in the room today. It's not that you didn't know, but it is that you've been using the Holy Spirit to feel good, not to change your city. It's just bad intel. That's not what he's for. That's not the point. The second way the devil tries to disarm us is just through bad theology. Just cessationism. You just, it's not, it's not important. So you're not seeing the value of the Holy Spirit, how necessary he is to actually reach your city. You know, maybe you're not the extreme where it's like, maybe you don't feel that it ended with the apostles and it's all over and, but you just haven't, you haven't seen the value, the importance of it. Maybe the bad theology for you is an over-importance where you actually feel like you're some sort of superior Christian because of a certain manifestation or expression. Not true. The final way the devil tries to disarm us is just with bad packaging. And as somebody who grew up in a charismatic movement, I've seen a lot of bad packaging. Remember green ketchup? Anybody remember that? Early 2000s. I had a little, I had a little brother and uh, my parents started buying green ketchup and Heinz came out with purple ketchup and sparkly ketchup. And I'll, guys, it's disgusting. They you blind taste test that stuff, tastes exactly the same. But there is something in the pack. I could not bring myself to dip a French fry in green ketchup and put it in my mouth. And, and the experiment only lasted like three, four years before they pulled it all off the shelves because people could not get past the packaging. And so... There might be some people in the room today and you've just been a bit, a bit hesitant because of bad packaging. Maybe, you know, it's been dogs barking and gold dust flying from the ceiling. You're just like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe it's like a late night preacher who like charges money for the anointing. I don't know what your experience has been. 
And I'm not here to judge the merit of those presentations, but I am here to suggest that the Bible just says we need the power of the Holy Spirit. Listen, gr growing up in a charismatic church, a Sunday morning uh, in our Pentecostal church, it looked like a Baptist church, but Sunday night was crazy. So I remember being like seven years old, Sunday night, wooden pews, and under the pews, you'd be in there with some monster trucks and like a Pentecostal survival kit. You got some non-perishable food items. You got, a, you got a blanket and a little pillow. Because if the Holy Spirit drops, dad's calling in sick to work tomorrow. We're at church till Tuesday. Like you just never know. We had, we had modesty blankets, like, because if she went down with that skirt on, we're gonna have to cover her up so somebody else doesn't lose their salvation. We had it all. And, and we all have these different experiences and points of exposure. But for me, I just came to this point in my life where I said, God, I don't even care if that's good or bad. What I do want to know is what do you say? What does the Bible say? I don't want my expectation for the power of the Holy Spirit to be tainted one way or the other by somebody else's experience. And as I came back to the scripture, I just saw that I'm not supposed to leave Jerusalem, the place of intimacy between God and man, without the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave your prayer closet in the morning without the power of the Holy Spirit. Don't leave the conference this week without the power of the Holy Spirit. Your best skills, your best talents, your best preach, your best strategy will not be good enough in the war that we are facing. 2 Corinthians 10 verse 3, for though we, we live in a world, we do not wage wars, the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. Friends, we do not have a religion problem. We don't have a government problem. We don't have a culture problem. Problem. We have a spiritual problem. We are in a spiritual war. And anything that separates somebody from Jesus is a spiritual issue. There might be days where it seems like your budget's the issue, your spouse is the issue, the attendance is your issue, your staff is the issue. It's not the issue. We've got a spiritual problem. And we need the ammunition of the Holy Spirit because we are in a war. We Listen, we can, we cannot over-spiritualize what we're doing with our lives. We are building a supernatural kingdom. And so every time you wake up, you're going to war. Every time you step on your platform, it's war. Every time you open the door to your church again, it's war because heaven and hell hang in the balance for somebody. Every time a worker holds a baby, every time somebody serves a coffee, every time you pray for somebody, you are going to war. And it's not by by might, it's not by power, but by his spirit that we're going to be victorious. It's only by his spirit. And if we continue to try to win this war without the Holy Spirit, we will be frustrated and overwhelmed. We'll start saying things like, I'm burnt out. We'll start questioning our call. We'll get distracted and we'll want to quit. You are a supernatural leader. You are leading in supernatural churches. God has called you to a supernatural calling. And we need supernatural power. I want everybody to stand up. I know we've already leaned into the Holy Spirit tonight, but I feel like we have to set the tone 
And we're not just setting the tone for a conference, we're setting the tone for a country. We're not just setting the tone for a couple of days because on Wednesday, Thursday, everybody in this room is going to go back to where they came from and we're going to take a move of the Spirit with us because we're a movement. We're not here seeking a moment. And I believe that we're not simply going to walk out of this conference into a city, into a church. We're going to walk out in the Holy Spirit. You're going to walk out with the gift of healing. Walk out with miracles and supernatural faith. You're going to walk out with joy that you've been missing. You're going to walk out with a authority that you desperately need, we're going to walk out different. And so can everybody in the room just lift their hand? We want more of the Holy Spirit. You want more, especially if you felt tired, especially if you felt weary, especially if you felt overwhelmed. Come on, let's lift our hands. You just begin to pray in the Spirit.